Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Jeremy Scott Fitness Podcast Radio Show. Coming to you on this Sunday, November the 21st, 2021. Hopefully it finds you staying safe and staying sweaty all at the same time. On today's episode, we are talking about 16 rich habits. And when I use the term rich today, we are actually talking about being financially rich and stable and secure in your life. But before I jump into that, I want to run through our sponsors on the podcast quickly with, you already know, my homies at Athletic Greens, the one thing I take every single day. Website athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott gets you guys a year supply of free vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first order. I take this every day. I never miss. It's the best tasting greens on the planet. There's probiotics in there. There's digestive enzymes in there. It's easy to travel with. If you guys have heard me talk about it a thousand times, or if this is your first podcast, I'm happy to send you a sample to try 100% for free. All you have to do is contact us. We will ship it right to your front door. You can try it, see that it doesn't taste like hot trash, and then get hooked up with all of the free stuff. If you're taking 14 different pills and you struggle to eat enough fruits and vegetables, which basically all of us do, this is a nice way to cover the gaps in your nutrition. Again, the website athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott gets you all the free stuff or hit us up and we'll send it to you this week. Next on the list is our homies at Beam CBD. Uh, this is the dream product I take every single night to go to sleep. It's a natural sleep aid. It's not habit forming. You don't wake up feeling groggy. There's no THC in it. It won't get you high, but it does help you get to sleep and stay asleep. The website beamtlc.com, you can put in the code Jeremy Scott, always gets you 20% off all products and 35% off all subscriptions. And very much like Athletic Greens, if you want to try a couple samples, hit me up. We'll ship it to you, see if it helps you sleep, and then get hooked up with all the discounts from there. Anybody else doing that? No, but we're crazy here, and we like to get you guys to try things first before you invest in it, our gift to all of you. Next on my list, my friends at JLab. This is where we get our protein, our turmeric, our collagen, and our krill oil. The website is jeremyscottfitness.jlabpro.com. We also have a free supplement guide that comes with this, breaking down all of these. We always have a discount on the protein and the collagen, and probably five or six times a year, these guys run some pretty awesome promos to get you hooked up. I like the protein because it's sweetened with stevia. doesn't hurt my stomach. We put it in all of our smoothies, and we all know we could use a little collagen, curl oil, and turmeric in our life as well, not just to fight inflammation, but hopefully to make us look a little bit younger and not as old and soft and wrinkly as we're all getting day by day. And then my friends at Kettle and Fire Bone Broth, in my opinion, the best tasting bone broth, 100% grass fed, 100% grass finished, no antibiotics, no hormones, no additives. They basically don't put any bullshit in here. This is not only great to break your fast, it's high in protein, awesome for gut health and digestion. And again, if you're talking to support skin, hair and nails, Bone broth is amazing. If you're a keto person, paleo person, or a person who does intermittent fasting and you want to break your fast, this is usually what I do at my house in between athletic greens and the bone broth. As I'm kind of making my dinner, I do like to throw this in. And again, it does taste the best, in my opinion, of all the the bone broths we've tried. They have a bunch of products, but uh, I I say the bone broth just because that's the one I use the most. Uh, If you guys want the link, I can send it to you. Otherwise, if you're on the website... The code SCOTT20 gets you guys 20% off always and forever. And then we do have a new sponsor to the podcast. This is Dry Farms Wine. 
Now, the site is dryfarmswine.com slash jeremyscottfitness. If you are wine drinkers, uh, I'm going to let Heather take over in a second. But for everybody listening, for every new member, you guys are going to get a bottle for a penny with your first order. So if you're listening and you're like, yeah, I want to try it and I love wine and I'm going to drink it anyway. So fuck it. Might as well be the healthy version. Uh, if you order a bottle, you'll get the next bottle for just one penny. It's basically buy one, get one free. Uh, they just want to be fancy and, and throw the penny in there. And you guys can get hooked up with that at the site dryfarmswine.com slash Jeremy Scott fitness. Now you're listening and like Jeremy, you're a health and fitness person. You guys partner with the wine company. Uh, admittedly, I know as much about wine as I do about women's hair uh, and nails. So it's not a whole hell of a lot. Although I have been wine tasting a couple times. Multiple places. You've been wine tasting in Spain, in Italy. Yes. uh, We went to some dude's castle. Greece. I think you had some in Greece as well. Yeah, no, I know some of the terms. Like like if the legs, if they run slower. We did a, a fancy wine tasting in Spain. It was like a 13th century castle remember yeah no i remember because the winery is there some dude owns it mm-hmm. still it was really cool and then you've obviously wine tasted in oregon and washington yeah i just uh it's just not my thing in california too in napa oh yeah we oh. you actually have been i've actually been wine tasting a lot of the great most of you guys listening wine countries yeah well the wine tasting and i don't want to get off topic here but i remember going wine tasting in napa and I was like, how do these places stay in business? Like, you show up, you pay like two bucks, and they're just giving out wine, and then comes the sales pitch. <laughs> Join our wine club. And I'm like, okay, now I get how right. this business model works. But uh, we, I'm going to let you talk in a second, but we did partner with these guys. Heather is the one who found them, obviously. Well, I'll just let you go, because you know way more than I do. Well, over the past, so I love wine. and You do? <laughs> over the past year or so, I've been really looking for natural and organic options and we're starting to see more of it in specific stores like sprouts i typically there's a couple natural brands that i've been buying lately that i really like and dry farms i've heard about it and i'm very excited about this partnership because it really is a legit quality natural wine and they really go above and beyond industry standards to meet the following criteria so they only do organic farming. It's lower alcohol, additive-free, and zero sugar. So I'm all about trying to find not just quality food, but if I can have quality wine, that's just a win-win in my opinion. Yeah, it was interesting when she sent it to me and said, hey, here's this wine company. Look at it. Obviously, uh, I don't, I couldn't tell you. I remember when we did wine tasting, I couldn't tell a $5 bottle from like the $200 bottle. It wasn't my thing. But if it can, you've talked about it before, like not having um, as bad of a hangover. All the chemicals and all the added sugar and the additives. And in, in, I believe in the US, the FDA currently approves over how many additives in wine. So when we messaged these guys uh, at Dry Farm Wines, they were saying, you know, it's hard to tell, but most wines that are sold in the U.S. are mass-produced. Obviously, that's, you know, how people run business. But they include high levels of not just sugar and alcohol, but there are 76 FDA-approved additives that they let flow in there. Which is horrible. Because and in wine coming from Europe, it's not like that. 
I don't here in America. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> it's approved. I'll look at. I'll look into this more. I don't know the like what they allow in Spain and like what they allow in Italy in terms of how many additives they allow in their wines, but I know for a fact we allow so many things in America in our food that they do not at a scale that is way too long to even mention. And so the the point is, you know, pure kind of natural wine is really rare. And by their estimates, it's less than 0.01% of all the wines in the world meet the strict criteria that Dry Farms is, you know, kind of living by with having it be free from toxic additives, uh, lower sulfites and everything down the list. So if you guys do want to check it out, uh, we'll be sharing it, obviously, um, like how they'll be posting on Instagram. I'll try it as well, obviously, so I can tell you what it tastes like, even though my palate is that of like a seven-year-old. Uh, but if you do want to check it out, all these links will be in the show notes, but the website is dryfarmwines.com slash Fitness. And if you guys order a bottle, you get the next bottle for a penny. So essentially it is buy one, get one half off. Um, Heather's a fan, and so she's obviously drinking way more wine than I have, and so I take her word for it. So yeah, that's it. Um, any questions on that? You guys hit us up. I'll probably hit Heather up because I'll. I'm not going to talk about things I'm not an expert on. But here we are. <laughs> um, but they seem like a super cool company. I'm just a fan of like that's like I do like Kettle on Fire. Obviously, Athletic Greens, Jay, all these guys. We get to know these people, uh, kind of what their mission statement is and what they're about, and then obviously we partner with them and it. You know, we make money, they make money. You guys get awesome products typically at a discounted rate or you get some free stuff and that's kind of how do we try to do everything here um that makes the most sense for us but today's podcast we are talking about 16 rich habits now the original piece this was actually published uh, on success.com tom corley is the author of the best-selling book rich habits and uh, he laid this out in detail. And honestly, I'm assuming it's stuff a lot of people know. But what I've learned is I've getting older. Assuming stuff just makes an ass out of you and out of me. Right. Like when I read through it, I was like, well, I've heard that. I've heard this. I've... Basically, the whole article, I've read or heard someone say it before. But, but it's such not... a great reminder. But you're not normal either anymore like you gotta under like that's what i've i really understood the last two years there is this missing educational piece around obviously not just health and fitness which i'm I'm like a living advocate for but just about finances and i'm not this is not sharing this to say hey do exactly what we do do what we've always done but you do go to work for money Uh, even if you love what you do you're trading your time and your passion for something you love, but there is a monetary exchange there. We live in a, a economical world. No matter, you can put your head in the sand all you want, but these things are real. And I realize a lot of people don't know the same things that I know. And admittedly, 15 years ago, I was just like a lot of you guys probably, if you didn't have any financial uh, education or background. Uh, you know, my dad, he taught me the basic stuff. But that's not enough for you to be financially successful and, I guess, make progress in your life. Like, there's the basic things we do all know, but I didn't have this education. It took me moving here and hanging around with people who are financially successful. Same. (laughs) To see the things like you should do or shouldn't do. And 
I've gotten a lot of advice. I've lived through economic meltdowns now, three of them in my lifetime, 9-11, 07, 08, and then obviously the, the pandemic shit show that it was. And during that time, I have got to hear stories here of people who have done it right, people have done it wrong, the mistakes they've made, things they've leveraged, things they wish they would have done. And this podcast is kind of all those things wrapped up with these kind of 16 little cliffs notes along the way. And we're going to dig right in with the first one, which is number one, the thing everybody knows, yet so few people do, live within your means, or like I always say, like live below your means if you can. Uh, this, for a lot of people, is uh, the same reason or a big factor of why we have the obesity epidemic in America. Most people know they should be eating less calories and burning more, yet we don't do it. So the theory of this is very simple. It's the application which becomes tough, and there's a lot of factors in this. Again, this is podcast is not about judgment. We're not saying you have to do anything. This is not financial advice. We're just sharing what we do, what we've done, and what I've seen some of the most successful people do with their money. And the biggest common sense thing is people who have money who are financially successful and wealthy, they avoid overspending on stuff. And they're doing things today for their future self. And a lot of people, they we're going to share a lot of percentages in here. This is different for everybody. I don't know where you're at in life with your job, with your kids, with inflation, all the things that are going on. But these things tend to be tried and true for most of us. You have to just really understand what's coming in, what's going out. Very much how you track macros. It really parallels you living within your means, below your means in terms of your finances. Right. And just before you start, um, the author did do a lot of research. And so the statistics and facts that we're going to be covering is from his years of studying the difference between the habits of our country's rich and poor, questioning hundreds of individuals on the rich side. These were people with an annual gross income north of 160000 um, 160,000 per year in a net liquid assets of 3.2 million or more. And then he defined the lesser off as those with gross income of $35,000 or less and no more than 5,000 in liquid assets. So just wanted to throw that out there before we get into the statistics that he mentions. That's a broad spectrum. So mm -hmm. I'm assuming a lot of you guys are probably, if I was to guess statistically, um, probably in that range. Some of you could be slightly less than that. You guys who are balling um, could be slightly more than that or way more than that. We've heard everything here under the sun. Uh, I'm going to not share names here if I share numbers because I have a lot of stories of people. And I always thought... And our know, own story. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I always thought, you know, things were... I always thought it was fairy tale, right? Like, you know, I always assumed when I was younger, well, if you were just rich, you were like born rich and that's what it was. And then when you start to live your life, become older, meet real people, dig into statistics, very few millionaires um, inherited their wealth or any money at all for that matter. And when you look at most people who are struggling with their money, almost all of them are living above their means. Now, again, I'll put an asterisk 
There's always outliers. The single mom with three kids who's doing her best, that's going to happen. I'm not, those are not what I'm talking about here. I'm the talking average. Yes. The average person who makes $66,000 a year and he's spending $82,000 a year. Obviously, that's right. a problem. They spend more than they earn. Their debt becomes overwhelming. And if you're somebody who wants to end that struggle, you really have to make a habit of saving and budgeting what you're going to spend every single month. I'll talk about investing later because it's not enough to just save. And I, and I say that because I don't want to get super deep here. I'll let Heather go through the, some of the stats in a minute. And I agree with some of these, not all of them. But if you're just trying to save your way to retirement, if you're just trying to save your way to being rich, it'll never happen. If you look at inflation right now, if you pull up um, CPI, everything that's going on, it will say it's like six something percent. They'll say it's transitory, which I do not believe. I, I think if you look on the ground and you talk to people, inflation is actually probably higher than that. So if you're saving money in the bank and they're paying you less than a 1% and inflation is at 6%, that is a tax on the money you're saving. So meaning every single year or day or week or month, however you want to look at it, your spending power is less. So if the inflation of goods and things is 6% and you have $100,000 in the bank, that money is becoming more worthless by the day if you're going to buy something because that same $100,000 does not go as far. It's devaluing the dollar. Yeah. So not just enough to save. There is an investing component too, and we'll get to that later. But for most people, it all, number one, starts with you getting in a habit of saving and budgeting what you spend, knowing what's going in and going out every single month. Right. And wealthy people avoid overspending by paying their future selves first. And that was such a key practice and habit that we started years ago that really helped us move forward. Um, what, so what she means by that is not paying American Express. Yeah. Not paying Ford, not paying Chevy or Ferrari or not paying Wells Fargo. Interest on things, especially, and again, I specifically mean depreciating assets and thing that bring you nothing. If you have a mortgage on your house that's appreciating, that's fine. I have no issue with it. If you find you're paying more interest per month to MasterCard, to American Express, or to an auto loan, and historically things with motors and wheels on them are depreciating assets. They lose value over time because the more you use them, the more they get worn out. If you find you're giving those guys more money and interest than you're saving yourself, that is a problem. You need to flip that, the right side or wrong. Yeah. So if you can save essentially 20% of your net income and live on the remaining 80%, that's ideal. And just here are quickly some sensible ways to budget your monthly net pay. Number one, spend no more than 25% on housing, no matter if you own or rent. Spend no more than 50% on food. Limit entertainment, bars, movies, miniature golf, whatever it is that you like to do. Um, no more than 10% of your spending. Vacation should account for no more than 5% of your annual net pay. So if you're listening and you're somebody who, let's say you're a couple, you guys make $100,000 a year, no more than five grand on vacations. That seems realistic does it not mm -hmm. like that would make sense to me and the food one is tough too yeah spend uh, no more than five percent on auto loans and never lease 94 percent of the wealthy buy instead of leasing these folks keep their cars until the wheels fall off um 
God. This is uh, AKA Jeremy's Honda. <laughs> yeah. Taking great care along the way so they can save money in the long run. I'll, I'll make two comments there. <laughs> One, if... <laughs> you literally have a note in the kitchen saying, hey there, can you call Whitey's Auto? My, my, I think you said my wheel is shaking um, or something like that. Well, I, you're going to get me lost in my transat. <laughs> uh, I do think the wheel bearing on my car is going bad because... I'm driving. I only. I don't drive that far. I don't drive very fast. I drive like a 90 year old man. Uh, he really does. But I do think the wheel bearing is starting to go because it's making a humming sound. So you need to call them tomorrow for my car. I just, know. I don't want it to die in Scottsdale Road and be like, "Hey guys, mm-hmm. couldn't make it to work today." Um, but that is what. Now I'm gonna go down my stupid car. Uh, I know. Rant. I will <laughs> Sorry, say. Guys. I will say this um, about the leasing thing. There again, there's no judgment here. I have done a whole podcast why I do think car loans are stupid. If you want to go back and listen to it. In terms of leasing, there is people who, because they own their own business, um, whether it's they have it set up like as an S-Corp or certain uh, different entities, they do buy vehicles through their company or they lease vehicles through their business. And for them, if it makes fiscal sense, that's fine. I'm talking about a normal person who is just leasing a vehicle. I don't think that is probably the best option for you. I'm not saying drive a almost, what is it, 10, 13, almost 14 year, almost 14 year old <laughs> car uh, that the wheel bearing is gonna go. But I will say this, because I've done that, and it, it's not the only reason, um, it's just the thing that sticks out to me because we are like, in America, we're obsessed with vehicles, and that's fine. Like, I like nice stuff, too. Um, there's nothing against it. But doing it before you can afford it, that becomes the problem. Like, trying to be fancy before you can be fancy becomes the issue. And what I mean by that is because I've driven this essentially shitbox um, for at least the last couple years, it has allowed me to do things financially that I never would have been able to do if I had a car payment and I think if you want to, can you pull up the average um, car payment in America today? If I had a guess, I would say the average car payment is around $500 today for Americans. Oh my gosh, right here. The average car payment for Americans is 568 a month for a new car. Nearly $400 for used cars. Okay, so... That's October... 10th 2021 okay so if you take 500 it was 560 bucks yeah 68 so if you take 568 dollars per month and let's say you're somebody who qualifies for a roth ira which in my younger days i did and that's how i set up all my money and we'll we'll come to this in a second which the roth is basically your money is going to grow uh tax-free so when you get to retirement you get to pull it out and that all that money is yours if can you pull on your calculator too? Take, mm-hmm. uh, I've driven this car since 2012. So this is almost going to be 10 years. So take 12 times 10, give me the total amount of months. And then that number times 568. And 68,160. Okay. So instead of me making a car payment and over the course of this time, spending $68,000 on a car payment, that same money you could have invested into a Roth IRA if you qualify. If not a traditional IRA or a SEP or whatever kind of investment vehicle you use, that money compounded over time typically doubles every seven to 10 years, depending on the rate of return. 
that alone right there could turn you guys into probably close to a millionaire uh, by the time you retire. And honestly, if you did that your entire life, there you go. For me, not buying something that cost $100,000 making the payments on it. Same here. My uh, and, car is a 2014. Yes. <laughs> it's, again, I'm not against buying nice things. By all means, if you guys want to do it, do it. But for us, it allowed us to pay off our homes, uh, maximize our retirement accounts to the fullest every single year, buy a commercial building and invest in other things that we thought were important, whether it be um, mutual funds outside of retirement, cryptocurrency, those things, which we'll talk about. So that's why I do go hard on the car stuff, because at the end of the day, it's just a machine to get you from point A to point B. Now, if you can afford it and you have the money, respect, please do it. And I promise you, when this thing dies, or hopefully before, I will drive something way nicer and way fancier. I go, but I'm almost a 40-year-old grown man who's had money for many, many, many years, and I've delayed it because it's allowed me to have this financial freedom. Now, again, that's not the only reason, but it sticks out to me as something that was so simple and so basic that I did that I see a lot of other people, either older than me, my age, or younger than me, not doing, and it's hampering them financially, where if they just would have waited a little bit longer to be fancy... They could have had it all saved for it and then pay in cash for the car. You don't have to deal with those payments and (laughs) it just makes your life way easier. And I don't, I could talk about this car shit all day. Um, I'll bring this up one last time just so I have it. And cause Heather had mentioned it to me before. And I said this the other day and I read it and I want these things to be blessings in your life and not curses. Again, there's no judgment here from anybody. But I read it the other day, and I quote, a fancy car and a big expensive house are old status symbols. They're the ultimate flex and freedom is not that anymore. The ultimate flex and freedom for you guys is to have time freedom, location freedom, and financial freedom. And obviously, I'll throw in health freedom as well. And again, I'll repeat the same phrase. I'm not against, excuse me, owning nice things, but I'm against them owning you. And for a lot of people, when you can't really afford to do it and you have to make a five, six, seven, eight hundred dollar a month car payment, I'm assuming that's probably stressful. I'm assuming it's less than ideal and you're paying interest on it to somebody else instead of paying the interest to yourself. And so I've prefaced that by saying, instead of paying Mercedes interest every month, instead of paying Jaguar, Range Rover, BMW interest every month or MasterCard or whoever, Pay that interest to yourself. Invest in things that are going to go up in value and pay you dividends or appreciate over time instead of things that are going to go down in value. And then when you have the money, then buy it and it's you're stress-free. It wouldn't matter to you. And then you'll actually, I believe, enjoy it 10 times more than if you're stressed out every month trying to kind of fake it till you make it. Hopefully well, I that agree. And then the more stress you add into your life, Typically, your health declines and you start sacrificing your health, which then you are trapped and you're not, like you mentioned, having the health freedom that you could have had by, you know, basically choosing these materialistic things and prioritizing that first, which really isn't, I believe, making you happy and feeling your best overall. No, if you, again, if you can afford to do it, do it. If you can't, just delay the gratification and I promise you it'll be and it's hard oh my gosh like yes I would love to have a better car and an upgraded home but for us we just know 
that if we continue to do it the way we've been doing it, it will be a blessing and not a burden. And that is what I continue to tell myself every day because I don't want additional stress. I'd rather wait more several years if I have to in order to not have to be unhappy in certain areas of my life. And again, all personality types are different, Mm -hmm. right? Like some people don't give a shit. And that's fine. Like my hat's off to you. I'm just describing a scenario that works for us. And if you find yourself feeling stressed about payments, there's another way for you to go. If you are going to a job you don't like just to pay for stuff, that I do think is the problem. Yeah. And I just, I think people need to realize like once you can have flexibility and options, that feeling it's so rewarding and just to know that if you don't like your job, you can switch and change and quit and not feel like you're trapped in a miserable job for years of your life just to pay off a car or a house or whatever it is. And on the car thing right before and we'll get off of it, nobody gives a shit what you drive. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. We had this conversation last time on the way home. I think Heather's statistics are off, but... Well, they're close either way. She said one in every three cars here is a luxury car. I said it was 50% in Scottsdale where we live. And you drive home and you see everything. doesn't matter what, what day it is. You see the Escalades. You see Porsches. You see McLarens. You see Bentleys. You see a Mercedes. Everything. A Mercedes here is like a Ford Taurus where I grew up. Yeah. It's just everybody has one. And the point I'm driving it is... I don't notice them anymore. I don't notice anything. Like I'll look and be like, but it doesn't stop me. I don't turn and be like, oh, that's super cool. Or what I'm saying is if you drive a Camry or if you drive a Mercedes, do it for you, but not to look fancy for everybody else. Because at the end of the day, none of us care. Mm -hmm. Nobody gives a shit. We really don't. So just don't be taking on stress to look fancy for the world. Try to impress other people and get attention because... Maybe just stop and look inside yourself and what and figure out what is causing this insecurity. If you are feeling like you continually have to impress other people, then maybe there's something going on that you need to address. Yeah, and if you got a Porsche and you love it and it gives you a boner every time you get in it, like <laughs> oh awesome, God. dude. Like, then keep uh, driving it. But if it's stressing you out, make a change. Uh, you want to go down? They the also list? say stay away from. Obviously, accumulating credit card debt, if you're doing this, it's a clear sign that you need to cut back somewhere. What is the average? Can you Google this too? What is the average uh, credit card um, payment or Or average credit card debt? The percentage they pay. I'm happy to hear either both. It's got to be like five grand a month, five, six grand. What's the credit card uh, rolling debt? 6,000 people owe? That's my guess. Per month, you're saying? Or just like overall? Like what's people's credit card balance? Average credit card debt of U.S. families is 6270 according to the most recent data from the Federal Reserve what Survey is, of Consumer Finances. What's the percentage they pay? Like what the is The average it? balance for consumers is $5,315, although some of the debt may be held on joint cards and thus double counted overall. Americans owe $807 billion across almost $506 million card accounts. And you're paying, what, 20% on that money to the credit card companies? Like, the, the, the interest rates are high. 45.4% of families carry some sort of credit card debt. Um, and to me, that's just throwing money away. 
if you can avoid it at all costs. If there's an emergency, cool. Um, we can talk about that. You should already have an emergency fund of for Dave Ramsey teaches the people who are like starting off ground level a thousand bucks. Personally, if you could work up to like three to six months of expenses to have in case like shit goes sideways, like both of you lose your jobs, a car blows up, something like that. Um, I'm just not a fan. Like these companies are huge, dude. Like, and again, I'm not knocking them. That's what they do. They're not your friend. They want to give you these high balances so that you can pay them interest on your money. So if you buy something for a hundred bucks and they're charging you 20% interest, you're paying way more than a hundred bucks for that item. And the longer you take to pay it off, the more it costs you. That's how it works. They want to keep you in this vicious cycle so they continue to make the profit. If you paid for things in cash and you never pay, like we use a card for miles because it's just things we're going to spend anyway. Right. Uh, like we put gas in the car, we buy food, whatever it may be. I've never paid one cent of interest to these guys ever, and I never will. And so we just use it like we would normally use it, but we are the worst customer for them. Mm-hmm. They hate us. And if you guys all did that too, it wouldn't make any money and the whole thing would crumble. But The last one, con- contribute as much as you can afford to a re- a retirement plan if you work for a company that matches your contributions up to a certain percentage that's awesome always take that free money when you can get it for me I've done that ever since I started with my company almost 14 years ago so I was very uh, aware that if if there's an option to have a, a match from a company then I definitely need to start there so when I was 22 years old and started with my company I um, definitely contributed to my retirement plan and matched um, the first contribution. And then over the years, I just would increase it substantially in order to just build that wealth for myself and have the options when I when I need to re- when I want to retire that it's in there. <laughs> it's pretty simple. If you work for a company and they're doing a match, I would say always do that. Uh, if you want to. I throw a ballpark number out there. I would say most of you should be probably saving 15% of your income if possible to retirement. And I'll talk about that in a split second. But if there is a match and they're going to match you 3% or 6% or 7%, do it because I live in this entrepreneurial world and there's nobody matching any money I'm given. And if someone came to me and said, hey, Jeremy, if you put in a thousand bucks a month into an account, I'm going to put in a thousand bucks. It'd be, I would be a complete moron not to do it, especially if you're making six, eight, seven, you know, nine, 10% on the returns. Uh, in terms of the 15%, I'm not saying it just has to be into, you know, tracking the S&P, or if you're giving it to your guy at Schwab or Jones or, or Merrill, wherever you're putting your money, that could be into real estate. And it could be in a mix between if you invest in real estate, if you invest in the market. And there's a wide I guess there's a lot of buckets you can put your money into, but I would say that would be uh, a good conservative number for a lot of you guys out there. The second one is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, don't gamble is number two. Every week, 70, 77% of those who struggle with finances play the lottery. To me, the lottery is just another tax on poor people. Uh, it's the way I look at the casinos in Vegas. How do you think they built those giant monstrosities? Did they build them because they lose a lot? No. They can build the casinos because they win. The house always wins. The longer you play, 
the house is going to always win. Now, there's outliers for sure. But if you are not a professional like poker player, you haven't been in the World Series of Poker a million times, or a professional gambler, or you're, you know, Rain Man, or Alec from <laughs> The Hangover, mm-hmm. like... It's not for you, dude. It's just, it's a, again, if you want to, if you want to throw that into your entertainment bucket, which I forget what the percentage was, 10% you spend on entertainment, that's fine. If you like to do that, cool. But for me, I work way too hard to just dump my money and gamble when I'm more than likely going to lose over time. Well, and it says wealthy people do not rely on random good luck for their wealth. They create their own good luck. Yeah, I don't, um, if you're from the Midwest, did you guys ever do like, uh, was it pull tabs at the bar? No, but you introduced me when I went to Minnesota to your college bars. It's like people just belly up to the bar and just go crazy on pull tabs. I've never been in bar. It must not be a Northwest thing. You guys probably can't do it. Oh, it's probably not legal. Yeah. Do you guys have Powerballer? I don't know. I haven't lived there in so long. Yeah. So in Minnesota, they have like the certain states too. Michigan too, right? Certain like we have. Obviously, we have casinos too. Um, but yeah, you do the Powerball is like the big one, mm-hmm. where it ends up being like six hundred million bucks, and then everybody goes in and just throws their money in. But or scratch offs. Did yeah, you ever do scratch offs? Never did any of that. So yeah. So Connor would um, my best friend. Connor would do the scratch offs a lot. Like they'd have different ones. Like he loved it. Um, <laughs> Hopefully, Connor, if you're listening, you're not doing scratch ups anymore. I know, but uh, you're just you, you could win, I guess. But statistically speaking, if you tracked everything you invested in that versus what you've won, the house is going to be up for sure. Yeah, uh, it's just it's stupid. Number now, three, read every day or listen to Audible books. If you're me, it says that among wealthy people, eighty-eight percent read thirty minutes or more every day. Just as important, they make good use of their reading time. So it says 63% listen to audiobooks during their commute, which Boom. both of us do that. Or I'll do it when I'm like walking the dog or um, sometimes working if I'm working on a project that I don't need, that I can basically multitask. I'll listen to audiobooks or podcasts. And then 79% read educational career related material, 55% read for personal development, 58% read by biographies of successful people 94 percent read current events 51 percent read about history 11 percent only 11 percent read purely for entertainment purposes which is pretty true I mean I, I when I'm going to read or listen to an audiobook or podcast I really want it to be educational because I feel like I'm making the best use of my time I don't know if I ever uh, entertainment. If I read stuff about like the UFC or maybe sports. Right. But very rarely. Most of mine are either. Mine's a lot of personal development. Yeah, I do a lot. I do read and listen to a lot about finance um, just because the whole thing. I know too much. It uh, it interests me. And for like the news, we both have started listening to um, the podcast Sagard. Uh, uh, breaking, breaking breaking points. points. So that's great for current events and breaking news and to be like not they don't take a political stance. stance They're just on, presenting. Mm-hmm. Here's I mean I guess if you want to go like the political route and make a distinction, he would be more right and she would be more left. I guess right. So it's great that they. But both... they're they're not. It's not. 
you don't watch it and be like, man, this is propaganda horseshit. No. It's just, they they just, try to separate all the basically bullshit that's out there and just get deliver the facts. Yeah, it's a good show. <clears throat> and then I was just going to say a couple books that stood out for me. This was probably even before we were married, but I love Rachel Cruz. She's a part of the Dave Ramsey. It's Dave Ramsey's daughter. And um, she... She has a great Instagram. She also does a podcast. But the book that I loved was Love Your Life, Not Theirs. So that one's a good one. And then I also, she, her and her dad, they have several books. But the other one I had read early on was Smart Money, Smart Kids. And it's both Dave Ramsey and his daughter, Rachel Cruz. So that one was really good. And then Everyday Millionaires, that's a good podcast that we both have listened to throughout the years and also have gone in person to their personal development, financial conferences. Yeah, I mean, they're, they all prescribe to uh, similar things. Mm-hmm. I, um, If you want to know people like I will listen to, and again, I'm, when I share this, I'm not saying do everything these people do. I just like to listen to people across the board on various things. So obviously, I'm not a huge fan of debt. So um, I'll listen to the Ramsey stuff. Uh, if you're talking real estate, um, Chris Crone sends a lot of stuff. I think uh, YouTube, we did like a little podcast. I think it's called Have It All. Um, that's a lot about real estate investing. And then if it's uh, Anthony uh, Pompoliano, he does all in the crypto space. He's a huge, uh, Bitcoin person. Uh, again, I'm not saying I do everything these guys do or would do. I just like to hear things across the board where, Hey, this guy leverages a ton of debt to buy real estate. This guy believes in having no debt. This guy is all in on Bitcoin. And then there's a handful of other people, um, I'll listen to throughout the week too. And then there's a lot of people here, uh, I actually happen to have a lot of clients that are uh, financial advisors, that are investors, they're into real estate, some of them are into uh, the crypto space, some of them are just traditional. So I get this awesome secondary education here. Um, and you guys probably have somebody like that in your life too. And the cool thing is, is if you're just willing to ask them questions, they're probably way more uh than likely to share everything with you. Open to help you. It's, it's pretty common sense. And I, it just, I mean, I don't want how do I say this? Ask it of people who you like their lifestyle. And like, if you really know them, not just the, the stuff you see, but you. That they're, they're fulfilled. They're happy in their relationships. They, in their, their career. Like, it's just not all about money for them, but. Not just the stuff they have Mm -hmm. is what I'm getting at. Like if they're like, if they have all the stuff you want, but they're the most stressed person ever and they're 400 pounds, I probably wouldn't go to them for just the money advice because it seems to me if I'm just, I'm painting a picture, they've given up everything just for that. Right. That's that's not what you want to do. So more of like a well-rounded person yeah. that you admire. Or if you want to be the dude who has $300 million, then you mm-hmm. got to go to the dude who's got $300 million and ask him how or he did Or woman. It. Doesn't have to be a dude. I'm assuming she had $500 million. Boom. <laughs> Checkmate, Heather. Um, number four, uh, forget the TV and spend less time just trolling the internet. Yeah, this is huge. Um, we honestly don't watch a lot of TV at all. I would say... 
sometimes in the background, I'll just have like a homework movie to make me happy to like kind of pay attention to, but not really. We watch you and me. The only show that we watch per week together is right now is Yellowstone. We spend maybe two hours a week watching TV Mm -hmm. and Yellowstone is one. And then since we have the Peacock app, we are now going back to watch one dateline a week usually on a yeah like true. a thursday night those are the two hours we spend that's it and then like you know randomly you know every now and then we'll want to watch our teams play football um or watch basketball or football yeah and uh but usually it's not even a whole game that we watch because it's just, it just takes so much time <laughs> i know so if that's what you do i'm not saying don't have escapism uh enjoy your life do what you need to do, but if you're watching football for five hours on a Sunday and you are completely illiterate in terms of your personal finances and where things are going, that would be a great time to cut the football in half, watch two and a half hours of it, or watch your favorite team play, and then spend 60 minutes listening to an audible book that's completely free or a podcast and educate yourself. That will move your life forward way faster than you could ever imagine. Yeah, and it says right here, two-thirds of wealthy people watch less than an hour of TV a day, which that's like a lot to me if you even did an hour. And almost that many, 63%, spent spend less than an hour a day on the internet unless it's job-related, which we use the internet a lot for both of our jobs and then for the business side of things. So I would say, yeah, if it's fun stuff on the internet, I probably spend... A half hour a day um, reading, well, a lot of it's like work-related stuff, but I'll look at ESPN or... Dog lot, videos. <laughs> I'll do that. Uh, but a lot of it's like, it's it's finance stuff or just things I'm listening to and learning or if it's some fitness educational stuff, but not a lot of it's, uh, very little is bullshit, uh, if any of it. I just think if you look at your screen time and that's... And you're not using it for work and to make money. And if that's like one, two, three hours a day. Like, what are you doing? Like, I've had to had, had to have talks with myself. <laughs> like, what am, if I do get su- sucked into it? I'm like, why did I just waste all that time? Like, that is lifetime that I could be doing. Even just being outside and enjoying the day instead of like looking at my screen. And again, I'm not against it. It's changed my life. I'm very thankful for these right. tools. But if you if you are struggling... You just have to control it. You can use it. And okay, I'm going to look at a screen, but I'm going to learn something while I do it. Mm-hmm. Or if you find it's just sucking you in and you're you know missing a chance to hang out with your family, your friends, these things, you know, maybe put it down. Um, there's better uses of your time for sure. And it says like these successful people use their free time engaged in personal development, networking, volunteering, working side jobs or side businesses or pursuing some goal that will lead to rewards down the road. But 77% of those struggling financially spend an hour or more a day watching TV and 74% spend an hour or more a day using the internet recreationally. So to take that away, it's, it's habits, everybody, um, and it's tough at first to break uh, bad habits. Obviously, I've lived through it for a lot of things, but it can be done. And I've said this many times on here, the discipline that you impose on yourself by doing this, it creates a freedom that very few people will have. You just have to get fed up and, and make a change. And 
I can't think of anything worse than like going to a job that sucks just to pay for stuff that you don't really like or want or need and repeating that process for your entire life when you could have broken that cycle by just educating yourself with now all the free stuff out there over the course of a couple of short months. Which brings me to number five, controlling your emotions. This one is pretty simple for me. Um, The one, I'll say this, the patience for a lot of people is what probably gets them. For whatever reason, um, I can delay gratification a lot longer than what seems like like the average person. Yeah, he's like the most rare but even human for, being as far as like how patient you are. Um, because I just don't, well, I just don't care. I don't know what it is. Um, I don't I've know. gotten better, but I still struggle with it. For sure. Well, again, we all do, right? Like there comes a, a boiling point for all of us where it's just like we want to buy something nicer or have something nicer. But for me, I don't get emotional about purchases Because the one thing my brain equates it to is effort. Maybe it's from fitness, right? Like when someone describes a workout to me, like right now Adam Mims is doing the Ironman here. Mm -hmm. uh, And Jeremy Williams is giving us like updates. And he's like, oh, he's only four minutes behind this other guy. And he's like, he's almost done. He goes, oh, but he still has the marathon left. (laughs) It's 26 miles of running. And uh, when he describes it to me, doing a legit Ironman sounds super cool. And then the next thing in my brain goes, boy, that would be in so much pain. That's right. It is today because I, I went for a run this morning in Tempe and Popical Park and I could see people with like Iron Man clothes on. Yeah. So I don't know. I yeah. don't know why they were in Popical Park, but. Well, they, the, they run. So they swim and then they run. Well, and... I know, but I thought it was always just downtown Tempe. I think there's different ones, though. Different routes. So, like, well, if you don't do... I think because Adam does the full. Yeah, there's probably, like, a sprint. Because they ride their bike to Fountain Hills and back twice. No, three times. It is so cool. I've gone down there and rode my bike down to watch, like, the finishers. It's it's pretty cool. It's badass, but I... They finish by the lake. Oh, and most of them will finish, like, tonight. Mm -hmm. But I think of that when I think of an Ironman. It's the same thing when I I think about uh, purchases, and I'm like, I could buy that. I go, but I'm going to have to work that hard to get that thing. And so for me, sometimes that's the deterrent. I'm just like, oh, I'm just like you guys. Like, we all work hard for our money. I don't care who you are or what you do, if you've accumulated anything. Like, you have put time into it. And so the two most, I guess, emotional purchases people tend to make are cars and, and homes. Which is crazy because unless you're buying probably commercial real estate, the most expensive purchases you're going to make are your home and your vehicle. Yet we do it so quickly. You spend more time, you know, planning where you're going to go out to dinner sometimes than you do a car because you get on the lot or you go there and you get hyped up. You get wrapped up in the emotions. And that's the one thing I don't do. No one's going to sell me anything. Mm -hmm. I'm either going to be here and I'm going to buy it or I'm not going to buy it. You're not going to talk me into it. Same thing with the home. But a lot of people aren't that way. They get emotional about these things. They get wrapped up in it. And then they make decisions that cost them. And not just, well, I mean, financially, yes. But cost them so much stress on the back end. 
Yeah, it says 94% of wealthy people filter their emotions. They understand that letting emotions control them can destroy relationships at work and at home. Wait to say what's on your mind until you, you're calm and have time to look at the situation objectively, which easier said than done. But So if you're out there, just really think it through. And if you're with a partner, obviously, I think communicating uh, with them is key. And if you're the one who's more level-headed and doesn't get wrapped up in things, you have to be willing to uh, to die uh, for that argument. You really do. You got to draw a line in the sand and be like, hey, we're not going to do this because this is going to mess up our financial freedom. This is going to cause us more stress and, and less happiness overall. Even though it sounds fun today, 10 years from now, I know we don't want to be there. And you have to like believe in your values, your... Um, you have to have confidence in your core beliefs and not compare to other people because what works for them might not work for you uh, and your your relationships or family and just your lifestyle that you're the dream that you want moving forward. So they were saying, you know, fear can really hold people back from their financial goals and um, you just have to learn that fear will be a part of it change will be a part of it making mistakes taking risks or simply failing conquering these emotions is about leaning in and just until you build up that confidence and it's amazing how much confidence helps like just you being confident in driving like clearly you could afford a very nice vehicle and pay it in cash but you drive this Honda and you are super confident with who you are and you don't care what people think and that's huge and that's what has allowed you to continue to be able to focus on other priorities that are more fulfilling to you and has allowed you to just continue to build a very successful business that makes you happy and to help other people. So you have to think of it, I guess, in in that way too. Well, yeah, I feel confident in it because I'm shredded. So that <laughs> don't sound like a douche. Um, it does. It helps if you're fit. Like I'm going to take a joke if Raul was listening. So I got this guy. Raul has been on the podcast. Mm-hmm. You guys have heard him. He's super successful. He sold us our first home. Yeah. Or he, no. Well, our home together, but yeah. you bought the condo separate. Yeah. yeah. So he sold, he was our realtor when we bought our house. And I mean, he works with. I think he's worse with everybody, obviously, because we had $2 when we bought our house. Mm-hmm. Um, but he sells a lot of, you guys have heard him on here, a lot of high-end real estate. He drives the fanciest cars. And him and I, he knows how I am, obviously. I've known him for a decade. And uh, I'll give him shit, obviously, and he'll ask me questions, and I'll kick it to him real, just like I would any of you guys. And uh, he was asking me about a, a certain type of Mercedes one day. And I'm like, dude, you don't need that. I go, look what I drive. He's like, yeah, but look how sh- look how shredded you are. He goes, you can drive anything, doesn't matter. And, you know, he's joking by saying that. Uh, and, and there is some some truth, obviously, layered in there. I don't drive my self-confidence from uh, material things because I didn't build the car. You know, if it sucked and I built it, I guess my pride would maybe be hurt by that. But I didn't build it. I just, I just bought it, man. And I don't care. Uh, what people think. I think when I drive down the street, like nobody notices me, which is actually the, the thing I'm going for anyway. But it, I don't see how my self-confidence or my emotions could be tied to something that I just bought that I didn't, you know, 
handcraft myself. And if I pull up somewhere to valet, and this is real, like I do events at the Ritz-Carlton and I'll drive my car up there and I'm like, hey, bro, valet this thing right here. There is, and I mean this in all sincerity, there is zero embarrassment there for me. Um, it doesn't matter what the kid who's valeting my car thinks about me. And you should well, live your life the same way. And I'm not. Like back in the day I was because I was insecure in certain areas of my life. Um, and I cared too much what people think. And now it's like, I don't care what people think about him driving that car because it's like, I know, and not to like brag or anything, but it's like, I know how much money we have and we've worked really hard to get to where we are in life. And we started out when we first met with a negative net worth. And like, it's just, it's empowering once you are secure with, with who you are and where you're at. And I don't know, it's just, don't let other people's opinions hold hold you back because it's it's just not worth it no and if you're living your life based on the evaluation and the judgment of others for some type of confidence boost or personal gratification that's basically like living your life for likes and comments on the internet and I think it's really sad and I think there's a lot of that out there I think especially on social media and um constantly trying to shove it in your face to prove try to prove something which I don't know you wonder how many people are truly happy and secure with themselves the ones that are constantly flashing their materialistic things and and that's all it comes down to you guys it's just chasing happiness Mm -hmm. and I think what you'll find as you get older um, especially for me here uh, I work with a lot of people who have insane amounts of money and some of them you know they ball out with their stuff but some of the ones who are really crushing it you would never know and I have a respect for that that is really rare because they feel a confidence in just what they're doing and the whole world doesn't have to know about it and there is um I do think that is super cool Mm -hmm. for me personally other people might disagree I do too but just knowing that they can uh is enough sometimes Mm -hmm. number six Network and volunteer regularly. You'll build valuable relationships that can result in more customers or clients or help you land a better job if you spend time pressing the flesh and giving back into your community. Almost three quarters of wealthy people network and volunteer a minimum of five hours a month among those struggling financially. Only one in 10 does this. And I get it. If you're obviously not in a position to give your time because you're working, you got kids, you got to hustle. I understand that. But the networking aspect of it. It's huge. Yeah. If you hang around people, you probably noticed this already. And people differ with this statement. And like, you're the average of the five people you associate with the most. Some people think that's bullshit. Some people really embrace that. For me, changing the circle around me changed everything. And some of that just happened by accident because of what I do for a living. But there is a, and I've never, I didn't set out to do it that way. I didn't set up like, hey, you know what, if I do fitness in this area, I'm going to meet all these people. I'm like, I just don't want to hate my day job, right? And I end up meeting all these humans here who become clients, then they become friends. And that is our network of people. And we just talk and now we communicate. And all of a sudden I found myself you know, the average of a lot of them. Mm -hmm. It just, 
you rising tides really do raise all ships not just in finances you guys but in your relationships in your finances and in your fitness and everything that's in between if you are hanging around a bunch of couples who always get shit faced and are really kind of visceral to each other you're probably not people who don't you know drink too much and are nice to each other because you wouldn't hang out with those same people does that make sense what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like if you're someone who is completely dead broke you're always overspending and you can barely you know make ends meet every month and you're all over the place you probably don't hang out with people who are financially uh, literate and successful and do things the other way it's just you really just you like attracts like it really does right and if you're like in the corporate world like me it was so important early on in my career to always attend industry events like it might not be my company but to get out in the community meet other people help um just network and build up your clientele and just develop those colleagues or friendships or acquaintances it goes a long way and I think there's always a place for it and um and then on the other hand just like always if there's volunteer opportunities I always try to take advantage of that whether it's through my company or just on our own, what we do or through our business here. And, um, it just, it's so impactful. And I just feel like the giving back is, is just so important. Well, and you're never going to feel like you have enough to give Mm -hmm. back. There's never a right time. It's not like, Hey, when I be, when I make my first million or when I get to 3 million, or if I saved $10,000 in the bank, there's not a a timer that's going to go off where you feel like you have enough now uh, to give back to other people. And it doesn't have to be monetary. It could be time. It could be both. But I will say every time we do things like that, like the adoptive family stuff specifically, or if you just drive around and you got your head not buried in your phone or, you know, straight up your ass, you live in a major city, you probably see homeless people and you go, what the fuck, man? And you start to realize like, I already have so much. Mm Mm-hmm. We already, all of us do. You probably right now, you're listening to this on a $1,000 phone or driving a $15,000 car or probably substantially more or listening to it on your MacBook or your Alexa or whatever it may be. We already do have so many things. And when you do volunteer and you give back to people who have so much less, or you do notice the people who are in a situation different than you, it really does give you a different sense of perspective and hopefully gratitude. And you realize, wow, you know what? I can strive to to keep having more, and not for the sake of just having more stuff, but to give back to people who are less fortunate than you. Money doesn't money doesn't change anybody. Money is not evil. It only exposes who you already are. So if you're a generous person with no money, guess what happens when you have it? You're way more generous. Mm-hmm. If you're a nice person with money, you know what happens when you have more? You're probably even nicer. If you're an asshole without it, guess what? When you get money, you're probably just a bigger asshole. That's just the truth. Number seven, go above and beyond in your work and your business. <laughs> go oh, you, ahead. oh you, want, you want me to keep reading? <laughs> uh, to me, it goes without saying in all reality. Um, if you just do the bare minimum, you're probably not going to get promoted. You're probably not going to get a raise. Uh, you're, you're very dispensable. You're very replaceable. And I'm not telling you to die for, you know, a company to climb the corporate ladder. But if you want to be recognized, if you want to raise, if you want a promotion, if it's your own business, I would hope you do this anyway. 
I would hope you would give your life to it if you really care about it. Because if you do that, the people who work for you will do the same. You have to lead from the front in everything. And your clients will notice it. The people you serve will notice it. Uh, it will set you apart. And It just does. You got There's a great book by Seth Godin called Lynchpin. Um, if you've never listened to it and you work for a corporation, I would highly urge you guys to do that so you can become the linchpin in an organization. And the long and short of it is do something where if they fired you, the whole place would either crumble or they would struggle to replace you because you're that good. Mm-hmm. Like you were that important to the machine. That just goes beyond saying if you do a good job, it will be rewarded. I think <laughs> this was very cl- made very clear to me because... I was furloughed last year among hundreds of us in our company and um, to be able to be brought back in a permanent role and when so many of my coworkers did not get brought back and they had to be, um, they were basically like let go, fired. And that was just huge for me because it, it just, okay, I guess I was a hard worker and it, it's bittersweet because I feel like a lot of the people I had worked with too deserved it. And so it was like, why did they choose me? But like our vice president was saying, like you're here for a reason. And so I guess I was doing something right. And you just try to just do your best every day, whatever that is and whatever role you're in, because people will notice it. It's the things you do when nobody's watching that you tend to get rewarded for the most the things you do in private we get praised for in public that goes for how you eat how you train the things you read you watch listen to and obviously the things you do with your finances as well number eight you got to set goals kids not just wishes i can quote uh the great perry scott here mm-hmm. my dad and all his infinite wisdom once told me jeremy you can shit in one hand and you can wish in the other and see which one fills up faster and that might not be shakespeare but he he was correct. It's very true. Or in this like this article, you can cannot control the outcome of a wish, but you can control the outcome of a goal. And every year, 70% of the wealthy pursue at least one major goal. Only 3% of those struggling to make ends meet do this. It's pretty common sense. Mm-hmm. If you don't have any goals out there, you don't really have anything to shoot for. And they can be small goals, weekly daily, monthly, yearly, doesn't matter, five years. Again, just having things out there is going to help you guys shoot for something. We Again, I talked about this the other day on the Nutrition Podcast. You got to have a goal, man, and you got to have some accountability, and you got to have a carrot to chase. It really does make all the difference. Which brings me to number nine, avoiding procrastination. I am very much from the school of ready, fire, and aim, which maybe not be the best uh, tactic for everybody but that's I, how you say fire it's like so midwest what do you mean minnesotan how are you supposed to say it i don't know just fire. how you pronounce it fire like, how you just did though is like I don't, it just what is funny. this a talking shit podcast okay go now? ahead what are we doing? sorry get out of here uh i don't do that i just do um and i deal with uh, the the fallout later obviously i plan the things I can, but I don't just sit there waiting. Uh, the first thing on the list here is to create a, a to-do list, if you will. And I do this every single day. I have a master one. I actually have it right here next to me. And then I have a little post-its um, actually right next to it. And I do this before I leave here. 
every single night. I have reminders on my phone for certain things that we have set out uh, ahead of time. But every day before I leave the office, I have a checklist of things that I'm going to do for the next day and an outline of things I want to do. Now, I might not get to all of those things, but the big rocks, I will. We call them big rocks, little rocks. And that's helped me a ton. Just to have an idea when I wake up and I come mm-hmm. in here and things are hectic, like, okay, this is what I have to get done no matter what. Right. And I kind of go through the list as I'm here. I do the same thing because otherwise I'm way too overwhelmed. I'm scatterbrained. I'm like, what do I focus on? So just organizing what do I need to accomplish and prioritize for that day really helps me check it off. And if you're talking about procrastinating, when is the best time for you guys to start working out right now? When's the best time for you to stop drinking so much right now? Start saving money right Right now. now. (laughs) Start budgeting. Get off this podcast when you do and go talk to your husband or wife and be like, hey, you know, this is probably what we need to do um, to really see, you know, what it's a P&L sheet. Just like your your company does that you work for if you run a business yourself. Here's the profits. Here's the losses. Here's how much we have left over. And here's what we're going to do with that leftover money. And you just break it down from there. Don't wait until after Thanksgiving. Don't wait till the new year. Monday has no magic, although tomorrow is Monday. Uh, just get up off your ass and make it happen. I promise you guys, by but not living on that someday island bullshit paralysis by analysis, you know, a purgatory that a lot of people spend time in, it'll elevate your life insanely quick if you can do it right now. Which brings me to number 10. Talk less and listen more. It's my favorite. You should listen to others five minutes for every one minute that you speak. Can we... Uh, teach this. Wealthy people are good communicators because they're great listeners. Weird. Weird. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. I wish this would be taught in school. You know what? I'm actually going to copy and paste and save this right now. A ratio of five to one is right. I need to repeat that for people listening. You should listen to people at a rate of about five minutes for every minute that you talk. I believe I do this. Do I not? You do. And people have talked shit about me my whole life that I didn't talk more. But do you not learn more about people, relationships, and the world around you by listening more than you just spitting out stuff out of your mouth? 100%. This is a great one. It's honestly such a secret weapon. I feel like us listeners know that it's such a strength and it really can help you be very successful in life. Not just financially, but with your relationships and just your awareness Mm -hmm. of the world. Just have your ears open and really hear what's going on. Number 11, avoid toxic people. We're only as successful as the people we spend the most time with. Of wealthy, successful people, 86% associate with other successful people. But then 96% of those struggling financially stick with others struggling financially. We touched on it. Mm-hmm. You guys know. You got to, you, and I'll say this to you, uh, and I've said this phrase before on here, and I'll repeat it twice just so it makes sense. You can't change the people around you, meaning you can't change your mom and dad in their habits. Uh, they're going to have to do that for themselves. You can't even change your spouse's habits. They're going to have to do them for themselves. So you cannot change the people around you. However, you can change the people around you. So if you're not hanging around the right people, you can start hanging around the right people, but you cannot change the behaviors and the patterns of the people you are currently around. 
take that with you. Number 12, you just can't give up. That's one thing. People who are successful in life have these three main things in common. Their focus, their persistence, and their patience. They simply don't just quit chasing goals. If something happens, there's a roadblock, there's a stumble, they just keep things moving forward. They really do. And there's going to be setbacks, dude. With your physical fitness, in your eating habits, you maybe you drank too much one day, maybe you had something come up, you're trying to pay off debt, and your hot water heater blew up, and so it's going to put you back, you know, a couple weeks because that was 1500 bucks you didn't think, you know, you had to pay and you were going to pay off your credit card bill. Whatever it is, you got to be focused. You got to be persistent, which to me just means consistency. And you're doing all this with a sense of urgency, but you have a patience layer that's leveled in. It's not going to happen in a night. It's not going to happen in a week. There'll be stumbles and falls. But if you really give a shit and you have a goal, you just keep moving forward every day. Right. 13, set aside self-limiting beliefs holding you back. And this is huge. It says, you know, poor people can't become rich. This is an example these untruths. Rich people have good luck and poor people have bad luck. I'm not smart. I can't do anything right. I fail everything I try. So it's just having that negative mindset will just not help you move forward. And um, you really got to focus on inspiration. I feel like we touched on this in one of the last episodes that we did together about if you see, you know, friends or family doing something, achieving something that that you want to achieve, then you need to look at it as an opportunity and be inspired. Oh, if they can do it, that that means that it's it's attainable. I could do it too, instead of being jealous or negative, saying, "Well, I can't do that," and you know, really just having that poor, um, self-limiting, poor me mindset. Well, a lot of people do this with everything. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm too slow. I'm too dumb. I'm too fat. I'm too stupid. I don't have enough resources or opportunities. And it just isn't true. Uh, it really isn't. And if we're talking about money specifically, uh, dude, I didn't grow up around people who had money. I didn't I, I didn't know a millionaire um, my whole life. I didn't know anybody who lived in a super fancy house or drove fancy cars. I don't, I come from a very, you know, lower, you know, kind of class like if you want to call it like lower middle class maybe I don't even know how you describe the terms anymore but very blue collar Uh, my parents both worked lived in an apartment for a long time even my friends who were like rich like when I say my friends who are rich like they had an above ground pool and a trampoline (laughs) you know I'm I'm dead I was rich I'm dead serious yeah dude like McConnor and I would ride our bikes down to our buddy's house he had an above ground pool had a deck around it you know uh, we had a half deck yes, around our above ground Same pool. kind of thing. And then I'd put the trampoline right next to it so I can do a cannonball. And so would we. And <laughs> uh, and he had a basketball hoop that you could lower and raise um, on its own. I had none of those things. You know, and he just, they just had things we didn't have. And that was like the richest person to me. So what I'm saying to you is I did not grow up in an environment where I was exposed to people who were financially savvy, who were, who knew about, uh, investing in the market or real estate or whatever it may be, but here I am. And you and I had had to learn as we grew together in our relationship. Um, we've been together for almost what thirteen years, fourteen. Yeah, uh... <laughs> thirteen. And um, 
we've just had to help each other, hold each other accountable, educate ourselves, and continue to just learn as much as we can. Yeah, I will say this. Like, the one thing I always saw was my parents both worked. So I did Same see... Same here. My parents were hard workers. Your parents are hard workers, so... And my dad is, like, the epitome of, like, a saver. Like, oh, yes. Like, I, I'm not shitting you when I say this. I It's impressive. I bought him... Well, it is super but impressive. It, I'll, let me say two things. I want to pump him up before I tear him down. <laughs> um, he paid off his house uh, on a single income, which is super impressive. The dude works his entire life. Uh, never spent more than he made. Just very old school, fiscally responsive. He is the, like, more... Uh, aggressive gangster version of like Dave Ramsey and not as uh, a little bit, a little rougher around. He's the sons of anarchy version of, not Dave, as PC. of, of Dave Ramsey. Yes. Uh, but with that said, I remember I bought him, uh, we played uh, in college uh, in a tournament in Hawaii and I got him a Harley Davidson Hawaii t-shirt. And I literally don't think he wore it for about 15 years after that. Um, so basically until about right now, he'll start to wear it. So he is the, the definition of a saver, but that is the environment I grew up in. And I remember he always would say to me, you know, you don't pay interest on credit cards. You don't spend more than you make. You pay your bills first. Always. Those are your responsibilities. Those are your obligations. And whatever money is left over, that is what you can choose to use it on whatever you want to spend it on. And I, you know, he was not huge in the investing world, didn't have the education that I've had, obviously, in it. So that's where the difference will be. But I'm saying is those those beliefs I did have uh, as a kid, and those were ingrained in me, is just to be responsible and do what you're supposed to do first. And then that's what it, but a credit card is not for you just to go buy a bunch of stupid shit. It was just for you to build your credit. That's the, the space I grew up in. And so there is good things we've all learned. All of you listening have learned some things from your mom and dad and the people around you. But then you picked up some of the bad traits too. Mm-hmm. To where like, well, I'll never be rich. And when you have to understand like once you become adult age, it's on you. Like you're in control of your life and you figure it out. And don't blame other people if you aren't where you want to be. You have to work hard to, to go after those dreams. You do have to believe you can do it. Mm-hmm. You really do. And again, like I've said, it's not gonna, it's not gonna happen quick. It's not gonna be super easy. Uh, it'll take work. It'll take effort. It'll take, it'll, it'll take you changing some habits. But I, I mean this in all sincerity, you guys. If I can do it, I can promise you, you can do the same thing. It's just consistency and patience over time and believing. Hey. I can also break the mold of maybe what my family's done or what other people have done. I can do it differently because other people out there have as well. You just have to really let it go. Because if you don't believe you can pay off your debts or you can invest and own multiple properties or become a millionaire or whatever your financial goal is, if you don't believe it, it will never happen. I promise you that that negative Mm -hmm. shit will drown you over and over and over again. It'll just be you sitting there being, oh, poor me, sorry me, and having this kind of victim mentality when it comes to it, but you don't have to. Consistent effort, consistent work, and patience. (laughs) Number 14, get a mentor, man. You already kind of mentioned just who you surround yourself with, who who you can learn from. It says among the wealthy, 93% who had a mentor attributed their success to that person. It's true. There's a lot of people and you can have a bunch of them, uh, whether they're, whether you actually know them in person 
or you listen to their content, you follow their stuff, and you take some of their principles, and you can beg, borrow, and steal from some of the best. You don't have to do, and I'll use Dave Ramsey. Like, I don't believe in every single thing he says to a T. Like, we use a, right. we use a credit card. Yeah, we've, like, took took the shell of his baby steps and program and then customized it to what works for us. And so just remember that you can do it your own way. You can take the best from the best people. Mm -hmm. And then I have also met some amazing humans here who, you know, also run their own business. So I get stuff from them and we trade and I kind of do all the best practices and it's helped me a ton. I would not be here today I couldn't be this free in this giving and in this financial space without the awesome humans I've met along the way. Now, I work my fucking ass off too, don't get me wrong, but that's not enough. You have to have people, you know, dropping these little golden nuggets in your ear. And if you can really just, like we said before, listen, it can change everything. Number 15, this is an important one too. Eliminate bad luck from your vocabulary. That's just... I'm not saying bad luck doesn't happen to people. It does. But not over and over and over and over again with everything. Rich people, financially savvy people, people who are crushing in life, didn't just get fucking lucky over and over and over and over again for 25 years. That's nonsense, you guys. Their positive habits led to opportunities. A lot of people, you know, they just, again, it comes back to the victim mentality and having a real, real limited belief and what I have found is the people who are prepared, the people who work hard, the people who show up, they quote unquote tend to have the most opportunities. They tend to get lucky, if you will. But the people who just sit on their ass and don't do anything and put in minimal effort, they don't get as lucky and they feel like everything is bad luck. It just comes down to the environment, man, and the effort you put in every single day. And if you can put yourself in a position long enough to be successful, odds are you're going to because all these things do compound on themselves. They really do. Which brings us to number 16. Um, And I'm going to answer some questions really quick. Uh, I'll let you do the intro to 16. So I think this one's the most important. Know your main purpose. So it to know your purpose is the most important. Those people who pursue a dream or a main purpose in life are by far the wealthiest and happiest among us because they love what they do for a living. They are happy. They devote more hours each day driving towards their purpose and serving others. Odds are if you're not making sufficient income at your job, it is because you're doing something you do not particularly I can't say that word like particularly when you can earn a sufficient income doing something you enjoy, you have found your main purpose and they kind of, it's pretty cool. They have this um, practice to, if you're struggling with finding your purpose, here's a process that you can journal. So number one, make a list of everything you can remember that made you happy. Number two, highlight those items on your list that involve a skill and identify that skill Number three, rank the top 10 highlighted items in order of joy they bring to you. Whatever makes you the happiest of all gets 10 big points. Number four, now rank the top 10 highlighted items in terms of their income potential. The most lucrative skill of all is worth 10 points. And then lastly, five, number five, total the two ranked columns. The highest score represents a potential main purpose in your life. Um, and as you can see, the differences between rich and poor are simple, sometimes intuitive, but not 
insignificant. Aim to take up all 16 of these habits and you're guaranteed to become better off. It's, um... We did a podcast too recently, maybe a few weeks ago, about finding your purpose. And there's another, uh, what were they, 10 questions, seven questions Yeah. that you can ask yourself and, and write down and try to identify your purpose in life. And so I think it's very common. I know I've gone through it recently and we all self-question, what should I do, especially looking into the future and if you're unhappy with what you're currently doing, hopefully these questions can help you move in the right direction. Uh, let me go through the questions real quick, uh, just from Instagram. I'll just do a, f- a few because I'm about to pee my pants. Hmm. But uh, I want to get a couple. I in. know. How long has it been? Uh, it's like an hour and a half. Okay. Almost. 125. Uh, this one was thoughts on house hacking. Would you do it? Have you done it uh, before you met Heather? Do you know what house hacking is, Heather? I don't know what that means. <laughs> um, it's basically like when somebody rents out a portion of their primary home to generate income to kind of offset the cost of a mortgage and the expenses. Oh. So like if you had a, like the guy's Airbnb. Yeah. So if it's like a studio or you have a house and you have like the lower level that you rent out. Like a duplex or mm-hmm. what did he call it? Like that? an income property. Mother-in-law uh, suite. Mm-hmm. Uh, to answer the question, I have never done that. Um, I didn't have any money. Dude, when I was like, <laughs> I didn't have any Neither money. Neither did I. I didn't have any money until I was probably 30 years old. So let me just put that out there, everybody. <laughs> uh, I was dead broke until probably about 30-ish, give or take. So I didn't do that. Would I do it? Um, it's not my personality type. I'm not a fan. I don't want people living super close to me. Mm, me too. <laughs> I like my own stuff. But, but I would do it if I had to, for sure. I do think it is a great thing if it fits you and you kind of... You can still have privacy. And don't mind being a Mm -hmm. landlord. I think it's a great option for a lot of people because it allows you to live probably in a more expensive area and neighborhood Mm -hmm. if you can do that. The only issue is if you would struggle to find renters, if you're relying on the rental income to pay your mortgage, if you have one, that would be a position that I wouldn't want to be in to have to do that to cover the monthly uh, expenses, if you will. But otherwise, I do think it's a cool... It's a cool option for people for sure. And definitely with the Airbnbs now and these rentals, these things um, have become cash machines. If you can do them correctly and you don't mind uh, a little bit of work involved, I think it's an awesome thing. Uh, just uh, just one of breaking news, the Vikings beat the Packers. Boom. See you guys. You know how much I love you guys? Mm-hmm. I'm here while the Vikings are kicking the shit I out know. of Aaron Rodgers. I'm here doing a podcast. Your with uncle, my wife. I just saw on Instagram, he's there at the game. He was at the game. Of course he is. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Gary Hepner doing his thing. Next one on the list. Uh, delayed gratification. Do you set yourself a dollar amount aside, saved each month um, before buying things? Yes, we do. Everything we make goes into different buckets here uh, for short-term or long-term things that we're going to invest in or purchase. Basically, every dollar is accounted for uh, at our house. I go through everything usually twice a month to see where everything is at, but we set things aside before so we know how much income comes in. Um give or take. Now, what I do for a living is kind of weird. So it's, it's across the board, but essentially we know, um, 
to a dollar what's going to come in each month, give or take. And we have a fixed expenses every month as well. And then obviously there's things outside of that to where uh, certain things will pop up. But I'm a fan of having an emergency fund. If you guys could do three to six months of expenses saved away, I think realistically we probably err on the side of having like a year's worth of expenses. So that the world completely ate shit. We could make zero dollars for an entire year and we would be fine. That's just me. I'm a little more conservative in terms of that. But I also um, am a high earner. I don't really care for material things and I don't have any kids. So it's super easy for me to say that. But if you guys could do at least $1,000 minimum in, in an account in case you needed it instantly and you didn't have to put in a credit card, that's ideal. If you can build that up, then obviously have money saved for... Uh, if shit went sideways, three months to six months would be cool. And it, just work on it, getting a month first and kind of build from there. It just, it probably buys you a little bit of comfort and it makes you be able to stress a little bit less and, and sleep a little easier at night. Um, if you could do that. Next question, Roth versus traditional uh, 401k. Would you change a Roth 401, excuse me, a 401k to a Roth 401k and take the short term tax hit? If you can afford it up front, I would say do it for sure. Um, if you're in a, if you have a bunch of other debts and bullshit, I would pay those off first. But if you can, to do the conversion, I would um, just take the short-term tax hit up front because that money is going to grow tax-free. I'm assuming you're probably like in your 30s or 40s, so for the next, you know, I don't know. Uh, well, 59 and a half, I guess, is the retirement age that most of you guys can pull from. There's a program where you can do it before if you have an agreement with the IRS, I believe. But you can do 59 and a half. So if you're 40, take the hit today if you can afford it because 19 and a half years, that's going to grow um, tax-free, essentially. And then when you become retirement age, you can take the money. If you guys are not familiar with what I'm talking about, a traditional Roth 401k, you're going to pay taxes on that. So if you work at a job and you can ask them if they have a Roth option and you qualify, well, if you work for a company, you do. If you're investing on your own, if you, I don't know the, the numbers anymore. If it's like you make $96,000 a year, if you're a couple, if it's like 150 or something, maybe who knows, then you don't qualify because you make too much money. But if you can qualify for a Roth IRA, that money invested will grow. And if you have $2 million when you're 60 years old, that's your $2 million. The IRS is not going to tax you on it because you've already paid the tax on that money. And if you work for a company and they offer both, I would do the Roth for sure. Because otherwise, the one is saving you on your taxes now, but you're going to be taxed when you're 60 years old. And maybe the taxes will be less, although you look at what your government is doing. I doubt that's the case. You could be in a lower tax bracket. That's also a thing. Talk with your financial advisor. If you don't have one, I would say get one. But what he's asking is if he has a normal 401k, can he convert it to a Roth and take the tax hit? I would say yes. So you have that tax-free money on the back end and just pay the small fee today, if that makes sense. And that's what I did. Yes. Heather has, you have both. Uh, Heather has some that she's done in the normal 401k and then she happens to work for a company that does a Roth 401k so now she'll be balling out of control when she's like super gray and wrinkly mm -hmm. um but that's the key but I'll have money that is true <laughs> uh and then the last uh, and so like most of my stuff um if we're just I'm sharing completely freely here uh in my younger days I always did a Roth um IRA on my own as a self-employed person um there came a point where I started to make money 
then I no longer qualify for that. And then we opened up a SEP, which is like a self-employment pension fund, which is essentially the same thing, except that saves me on my taxes now. And they will tax me on that when I do start to take withdrawals, whether it be, you know, 55 or 59 and a half, whatever it may be um, in that regard. So most people probably have both at some point and you can convert it like he's talking about if you're choosing to, to pay the tax in the, the 401k Roth. Yes, that sounds right. Uh, last question before I go. Uh, any thoughts on Bitcoin? And then the other one was how should I invest in cryptocurrencies? Again, all these things, you guys, I am not a financial advisor. I'm just a gorilla in a warehouse who teaches jumping jacks. Um, but what I can say is with the crypto stuff, having talked to financial people on this podcast, financial people who come into our facility, and then some of our people who are super heavy in it, it's... It's like any other investment. Um, I think if you're in it for this short-term money, you probably shouldn't do it. If you're in it for long-term and you want to throw some money in it and you're okay with losing that money, I think it's fine. I'll tell you what my financial advisor told me. He said, Jeremy, if you wanted to go put $50,000 into Bitcoin today or buy a vehicle with it or let it on fire... It wouldn't matter to me in the plan we already have set up for you. So that's kind of how I've looked at it so far. Personally, if you want to talk percentages of like your investments, if it's like 1%, 3%, 5%. Now there is people I know who are super bullish on crypto and Bitcoin specifically, and they have a huge percentage of their uh, investments allotted to that. Mean. I would tell everybody listening, if you are looking at cryptocurrencies, do your research, like really take the time to learn about it, spend a couple of hours, dig down, learn about the technology, learn about the blockchain, learn about the ones you can. Personally, what I do is I just, I dollar cost average, basically all the investments that we do. And that's a really simple technique to kind of lower the investment costs and like any crazy risk. So the basic idea is you set a fixed amount of money aside to invest regularly, whether it be every week, every month, or even every day if you wanted to go uh, that crazy with the apps now. Um, so our normal retirement stuff, we do typically monthly. It just goes in. Heather's is obviously you know per paychecks. With the crypto stuff, yes, we do invest in it. Uh, the only two I know anything about are Bitcoin and Ethereum, and those are the only two that we spend money in. And uh, I just invested in there. And if it all went to zero tomorrow, it wouldn't change my life one bit. That's how I think about it. Now, obviously, that money is starting to become more substantial as time has gone on because we've been doing this for, I would say, the better part of a year or so. Um, so it's not like I was you know, buying Bitcoin in 2005 or something. But we will uh, put money into it just to see. The way I think about it is this. If you understand the technology of like, if it's Ethereum or something like how things are being built on the blockchain and being used. And then if you look at, let's say Bitcoin, for example, if this is this, you know, I guess you want to call it like a digital gold or there's a fixed amount, there's only so much there and they're never going to make more and people believe in it and they want to buy it, then the scarcity of it is going to cause the price to kind of increase. And if you use it as like a hedge against inflation, which is kind of how we use it, 
then I think it's fine. Um, but it, again, it's super volatile. Uh, I remember buying it like when it was in the 20,000 range and then it got all the way up to almost 70,000. And now I think today it's hovering around like 60,000. So if you're putting a lot of money into it, you can lose 10% of it in a day. I mean, you can lose probably 20% of it in a day. So there's huge swings. So don't invest money that you're not okay with losing into it. But I would say if you want to put a percentage on it, again, this is not financial advice. I'm just telling you like what I've seen people do and what we feel comfortable doing. If it's 1% or 3% or 5%, but uh, do I think it's going to go up? I do. I wouldn't put money into it if I thought it was going to go down like all my investments. But, you know, sometimes things change. I just think the adoption of cryptocurrency is only going to get bigger. I believe when you see like some of these major financial institutions start to really dump money into it. The market cap is going to go up drastically, and I think the adoption at this point is probably too big to go back to zero. Now, again, you could play this in three years, and I could be wrong, but I think technology is a one-way street. Whether I like it or not, and even though I want to be Ron Swanson, you know, just hanging out in a cabin in the woods, the reality is that we're becoming more digitized with everything. People, Money is digitized. People are buying artwork um, digitally. And if you want to go on the NFT route and all the things that are happening, that's just the way the world's going. We're using technology more and more and more and more. And I think uh, the crypto stuff is just, you know, it's a part of that for sure. So I would say if you do it, invest money, you're okay with losing and really educate yourself. There's so much out there, dude. There's so many technologies and coins. There's way too much for me to keep up with. I can't keep them all straight. The only two I've learned about and I've done a lot of research on both Bitcoin and Ethereum, and I listen to people on both sides of the fence on them. And uh, I don't invest anything I'm not okay with losing. And so if all that money dried up tomorrow, I'd be okay with it. It wouldn't change the scope of my life or my retirement goals or any other of my financial plans. And if it happens to go the way that I think it's going to go, super cool. I guess we'll have a bunch of uh, a bunch of assets to uh, to hedge against inflation or to have, if I want to sell some of it, to buy uh, material things if I need to. So hopefully that made sense to you guys. Um, but again, I only talk about things I'm educated in and that's the only things I know and the only stuff I have experience with. So boom. Good job. That's a lot. I want to hopefully help you guys again. Yeah, ho- hopefully it was helpful. Yeah. I'll, we'll get a, if you want me, if you guys message us, if you want us to get like a, a blockchain, uh, like, uh, expert or crypto expert on, or somebody who knows just about Bitcoin or any other technologies, I'm happy to do it. Um, and we can talk about digital assets and things from there, but hopefully this helped. Let us know your feedback. If you feel like it resonated with you or could be beneficial for a friend or family member, please share it or tag us in your posts. We love hearing it and seeing it. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say, you guys, if you're talking about investing, you just have to do it. Um, compound interest is real and time is your friend when it comes to that. So the longer, you can have your money invested the more that interest is going to compound over time and it takes forever to get to the first hundred thousand i know that but after that you're going to start to see some real gains and make some real traction and progress like i said before you cannot save your way to retirement you cannot save your way to being rich you have to invest it in vehicles that do appreciate over time or that that be into the market or that be into Uh, real estate, whether that be into businesses. And then if you want to throw cryptocurrency as kind of like the fourth bucket, I think that's fine too. But you have to do things that are going to pay you money. If you're just working and trading time for money, you'll work your whole life and you probably end up, you know, dying broke and 
that would suck. So take advantage of this. Again, any legit financial advisor that you could get with is, is worth you know their weight in gold. And then obviously do your due diligence and always educate yourself because it's it's what you're trading your time for, man, when you go to work. I know you might love what you do, but you know, it, and again, money's not evil and it's, it, it doesn't make you happy and it doesn't change, you know, your happiness level in life, but it does buy you a sense of security and freedom and makes things a little bit easier. Um, take it from a guy who used to be broke. Um, that much I know. So thank you guys, as always. Um, if you're on Apple podcast, drop us a five star, leave a comment. I truly would appreciate it. And again, if you guys do have any requests, you can send them in and we'll be happy to get to them if we can. So thank you. And until next time, eat well, train hard, be nice to people. And please, you guys keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.